Lord, we thank You for the cup of the new covenant that gives us life, that gives us salvation, that pictures, Lord, the forgiveness that Your blood has offered to us. Lord, I thank You uh, for a time to remember and to celebrate that. And God, I pray this morning that You would open the eyes of our hearts as we look at Your Word that we might receive and that we write, Lord, experience transformation as we apply the principles of Your very Word. In Your name I pray this morning. Amen. We are continuing our emphasis on marriage, intentional marriage. This week, and we're going to be in the book of Malachi, chapter 2, which is the last book of the Old Testament, right before the book of Matthew. And the title of the message this morning is Covenant or Contract. And when I say covenant or contract, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the difference. This, this right here is a contract, okay? And uh, some of you may even recognize this. I, I don't even begin to understand uh, what all's in here or what this means, but it's a contract. It's a legal agreement between two parties uh, that gives stipulations and understanding. And basically, it's, a, it's written to protect each individual. It's, it's written so that you get what you want, so to speak, out of it. And so that, and that it's somewhat understood. Now, I don't know how you understand all that. But nevertheless, that is a contract. And we're going to look at this morning what God says about marriage, which we see it clearly stated in Scripture. It's a covenant. We want to look at the difference between a contract and a covenant. And you need to decide this morning, and hopefully you'll be able to understand before the end of this service, is your marriage really one more of contract or is it one of covenant? I can tell you in God's eyes, as He established marriage, He certainly looks at it from a covenant perspective. Now, I also recognize, now everybody's married. I, I get that. You know, I was single for a long time, like 35 years or something. I can't even remember what it was. I'm 36 now. But nevertheless, um, I, uh, I, I understand that. I was a singles pastor. And, and I recognize some of you may be sitting there saying, all this marriage stuff drives me crazy. I'm single. Why, why do I need to hear that? Well, the real truth of it is, is that most people will probably be married again someday. Okay? And can I tell you this? After doing singles ministry for a long time, if your attitude is this, I don't want to hear all this. I'm not married yet. That's a bad attitude, just to be real frank with you. This is the best time in the world for you to learn, okay? The folks that are married, they're, they're in it, okay? They just got to make it work right now, and so they got to kind of adjust on the fly. You have the opportunity to make a good choice in the future and to do it right, but if you're going to wait till you fall in love, you're going to take the same stuff you, you, you brought in last time, quite frankly, if you don't learn some new things, okay? So this is a great opportunity. Matter of fact, this should be like a singles message, okay? But it's not. It's, it's for everybody. But I'm just telling you, that this is a bad time to check out and go, you know what? I'm doing church on TV for the next four weeks till they finish all that marriage stuff. If that's your attitude, you'll be able to say that again in the future, even if you get married, quite frankly, okay? So, uh, enough of that. Anybody mad, you can talk to me after the service. All right? So let's, let's move on. And uh, I've, got a I've got a little clip I want to show you. And uh, this is actually a Hollywood clip, and it's very short, so you're going to have to listen 
uh, quickly. And it's, uh, there's going to be a few lines given by the great theologian uh, Julia Roberts. Now, I, I usually don't use her or quote her, but this movie is The Runaway Bride. And most of you have probably seen it. It's a story about a woman who every time she gets to the altar, she gets nervous and she runs away. Okay? And she's afraid and she gets scared and she's done it once again. The fourth time she's done it. And here with Richard Gere. And, of course, he's devastated. He's embarrassed. And he's gone out chasing a... FedEx truck that she's jumped on and run off on and escaped from the, the marriage itself. And, uh, but now she's decided, you know what, I want to come back and I want to try to really do this thing. And she recognizes some very key truths that I believe are essential, really, uh, before you go into marriage to recognize. And so uh, let's take a brief moment and pick up there where she's come back and she's making this commitment to him. That was really short. I didn't want you to get real into that and want to watch that and not listen to me today. Um, that's the truth. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that's, a great, that's a great perspective and a great understanding about marriage uh, because the truth of it is, you know, and I hear this all the time, uh, people go, well, you know, I'm not sure. I think I married the wrong person. And I always want to go, well, of course you married the wrong person. And you're the wrong person, too. We're all the wrong person, okay? We're all, we all have a sin nature. And that idealistic dream that you had of, you know, somebody that would wake up singing to you and, and uh, fixing you breakfast and cleaning and asking if there's anything else they could do and always making you feel good about yourself, that person doesn't exist, okay? And if they did, they wouldn't be married to you, all right? So that's the real truth. All right, so that's, let's just establish that fact right there because that's a recipe for doom when you have this Hollywood idealistic mentality of what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like. Okay, so there's going to be a time in your life where you want to get out. You're going to think, what in the world? I've got to get out of here. I've got to get away from this person. This is not working. i just got to get out. Welcome to reality. We all have that, even if it's just for a moment, even if it's just that moment where you... We all have it, okay? So welcome to the human race. If you're a Christian or non-Christian, we all have that feeling at some point. We all have that temptation, if you were what we call it. We at minimum can say we've all had that thought run through our heads, okay? That's very, very normal, okay? The question is not, is it ever going to happen? Are thoughts ever going to invade my mind that concern me? The question is, what are you going to do after that? What is your marriage established on? What is the element or the individual, if I can say it in that manner, that holds your marriage together? What is the purpose of your marriage? Is it a contract for you to just get what you want? And if things don't go well, I get to have all this? Or is it a covenant? that you recognize, I have given myself completely this person they've given to me, and God Almighty has sealed this marriage together. And that He is a very big part of the essence of who we are, that we truly have become one flesh, and we are now in covenant 
together. Okay, with that understanding, I want us to look at Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. And Malachi has given what I would call the clarion call here. A clarion call, of course, was a trumpet. It was a clarion that was sounded off in the medieval times and even before that when enemies were approaching your city or approaching your area or sometimes even if you were actually going to battle yourself, it was that trumpet sound and you knew, hey, call to arms, we've got to get ready. This is serious business. If we're going to make it, we've got to address this issue. So there's the clarion call. He starts off in chapter 1 by speaking. He's speaking to both Judah and Israel, the northern ten kings Israel, the bottom two kingdoms, or excuse me, two countries called Judah. And he's speaking really to both of these. And he is, in the first chapter, he addresses the issue that um, the people are being allowed to offer uh, blemish sacrifices, sacrifices that are not acceptable to God, and the priests are allowing it to occur. So he is really getting on to the priests for allowing that to happen. And incidentally, today, uh, we, as certainly as Protestant evangelicals, believe in something called priesthood of the believer. In other words, we believe that we have direct access to Jesus Christ uh, once we've accepted him. There, we don't need someone in between. So that's a principle of our belief system. So we are all, according to the book of Hebrews, are, as believers in Christ, we are regarded as priests. So uh, we see that occurring in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we see here that um, he is going to address the breaking of covenants. All right? So let's jump in right there in chapter 2, verse 10. Verse 10 says this, Have we not all one Father? Do not, uh, did not one God create us? Why do we profane or abuse uh, or blaspheme, is another word that can be translated here, the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith, with one another. So the first breaking of covenant was covenants that were agreed upon by individuals. And we will see in just a moment some of the steps of the covenant that transpired. But when you would break a covenant that you had made with someone else, okay, uh, it could be a friend or a business partner you might go into a very serious covenant relationship with, and they were breaking these. So God is, uh, and through the prophet Malachi, is basically... Um, getting on to him for this. And then in verse 11, Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughters of a foreign god. And as for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. So the second offense is this. They are marrying pagan women. And I'm saying women in this instance because... It was almost impossible or extremely difficult for women to get a divorce at this point uh, because they were not given the rights that they deserved at this point. But very rarely did you see a woman getting divorced. It was almost always the man who is initiating the divorce. Or uh, in this instance also it included uh, men who were simply bringing other wives into uh, the covenant marriage. That was also inclusive in this. So what's occurring here? Well... We see, number one, that they're not honoring their covenants with one another. Number two, they're marrying pagan women. Now, now why is that bad? What is that talking about? Well, let me tell you what it's not talking about. It's not talking about different races marrying each other. 
That's never addressed in the Bible. That's not wrong. It's not a sin. Okay? So it's not talking about that. What he's talking about is different faith. And not just a different faith. We're not talking about Baptist Methodist kind of stuff here. Okay? We're talking about, uh, we're talking about pagan Canaanite worship. Remember we talked about last week how sometimes uh, some of the Canaanites, the way they would worship, they'd go to the temple and they would literally have sex with a prostitute, with a temple prostitute, so to speak. And they would call that worship. All right? So you've got that worship, so to speak, as they're calling it. And then you've got the worship of God, which is the moral code given to us for the Ten Commandments, to love God and God alone with all your heart, soul, and mind. So you can see the polar opposites. It would be the equivalency today of you simply bringing someone into your marriage who uh, didn't have any of the values that you have in your family. They had the antithesis, the opposite of your faith and belief structure and, and trying to make that work. And we know this, if, if you don't share anything else, if you don't share the same values in marriage, it's 99% chance your marriage won't work. Even virtu- that's virtually a given. Whatever the two or three things you, you value the most in life or whatever it is you value the most in life, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, you need to be able to share values. Okay? So that's just a given. So here is the opposite. They knew from the covenant they were not to take uh, spouses who uh, did not believe in Yahweh, who did not worship Yahweh, who were not in covenant with Yahweh. This was a condition of the covenant that was given to them. Okay? So we continue here. And then he says this in verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner and wife of your covenant marriage. Has the Lord not made them one in one flesh and spirit? They are His. And this is a reflection, I believe, back to Genesis when the Bible tells us that the two will become one flesh. Because He was seeking godly offspring, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Talking about the wife of your covenant, uh, the wife that you've been given to and you've committed to. And then he says in verse 16, I hate divorce. I think that's pretty self-explanatory myself. Says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with garments, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Now let's look at that last verse that we just read there because it's a difficult one to interpret. And uh, But I want to give you my best uh, stab at it right here. Uh, and he says, I hate divorces, the Lord of God or Israel. I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with a garment. Now, garment uh, was an Arabic idiom for wife. So your wife would sometimes, particularly in Arabic literature, would be regarded or would be substituted for the word garment. Uh, we also see kind of an indication of this in the book of Ruth with Boaz and with Ruth as he placed his garment upon her. Um, but you see this covering with himself. Now, I hate a man covering himself with violence. That word violence, I believe, is a direct reflection of the word divorce. So, in other words, you have injured the covenant. You have injured, in, injured in this instance, the wife of your youth, the wife of your covenant. And he says, I hate a man covering himself with that violence. That violence or the injury or the attack that you've made on the covenant and the institution of marriage. Again, let me say this. Uh, this message is for men and women. 
Okay, so this isn't just isn't for men. This is for women as well. I also recognize that some people uh, sometimes end a divorce, and there's not a whole lot they could do about it. All right, I, I recognize that, so I want to give that to you. Specifically, what we're talking about here, and in this instance, is they were leaving without any justification. And we won't get into all the justifications uh, of divorce, but in my opinion, and we're welcome to argue about this at some point, the only time that you can even justify, and let me say this, I think still separation is always where we want to begin, is adultery, abandonment, and injury, uh, abuse, uh, physical, uh, physical or sexual abuse. So, uh, and again, people can debate that, uh, and we can talk about that if you'd like to. That's another sermon for another day. And... Um, so God bless you if you're mad today. Nevertheless, let's continue here. So we see there were three covenants that were being broken. Number one covenant that was being broken we talked about uh, was the covenant between individuals that was being made. Number two type of covenant was being broken uh, was that they were marrying people who uh, did not share their, not only not share their faith, but had the complete antithesis of their faith were in direct contradiction to the covenant. And number three, they were divorcing their wives. And quite frankly, for lust of the flesh, that's why they were divorcing. They were leaving them uh, for newer, younger uh, women who were wilder and who would do whatever they want kind of deal. And uh, in, in many cases, almost trying to bring them into the marriage if they couldn't actually have the divorce occur. And so they were definitely regarded as unbiblical Divorces. So we see that here in Scripture. Now let's understand a little bit more about what it means to be in covenant. Uh, the word is brief that you find for covenant is found uh, over 300 times in the Scriptures. And um, when we see the word brief, it's good for us to understand that the principle of what would occur typically, and let me say this, there are a, a myriad of different resources that have different nuances in different covenants. But in principle, here's the three things that typically would always occur. There would be a cutting of an animal, and the two individuals who were in covenant would walk through the cutting. So let's say if it was a calf or a goat or whatever, it would be cut in half. The halves would be laid upon the side, and then they would walk through the two halves as a sign of their covenant with one another. There would also always be a witness at least one, usually a couple of witnesses who would witness this covenant as it transpired. And we know from Scripture that God is a witness to our marriages as we enter into the covenant. And, um, and as, the, as that occurs, uh, one other step that would also occur would be the preparation. Uh, the preparation that they would hopefully pray and have careful consideration of what they were about to enter into. So uh, the first step would be the consideration. Uh, then secondly, they would... Um, have the splitting of the animal and walking through it, and there would also be witnesses that would be involved in this. So those were the principal issues that pretty much always occurred occurred in what we call the cutting of a covenant. That's literally what brief means, the cutting. Now, let's continue. Now, other aspects that would be included uh, of what we see from uh, some different biblical and extra-biblical sources were uh, often the garment or belt or even weapon would be exchanged with one another. It was a picture of... Um, what is what values what I have a value you also have I am here to protect if someone attacks you they are attacking me uh, another aspect of the covenant uh, might be that they would exchange names that I am now in covenant with Iron uh, covenant with Greg Iron covenant with John 
uh, I'm friend of kind in covenant with, those names would be exchanged. Uh, sometimes they would even use a, a list of all the assets. Here are the things that I have as far as assets. And you would see a list that if it was ever essential that you were in need because of that co- covenant, you would have access to. Uh, a formal exchange of blessings uh, would be given and even curses sometimes. Uh, and then they would set up a covenant reminder. In other words, they would uh, plant, uh, plant some type of plant or a tree uh, or even set up stones as a picture at that area that a covenant has been made. And then they would often uh, celebrate a meal in which they would have bread and wine. And they would eat the bread. It was symbolic of uh, the two flesh, two, two bodies, and drink of the wine. It was symbolic of the blood. As a matter of fact, they would drink of the same cup. Now, now, guess what we do today that's very similar to that. We, we think of the Passover, but it's also a picture of the covenant that has been established as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, as we did today. And then the, sometimes the animal would actually be placed back together, so to speak, as a sign that this covenant is sealed. So those are some of the symbolic acts that would occur. Now, how do we understand the difference between covenant and contract today. Well, let me give you uh, just uh, several descriptions that maybe will help you understand this a little better. The difference between contract and covenant today is that contract is an agreement made in distrust. A covenant is agreement made in trust. Contract is based on limited liability. Covenant is based on unlimited responsibility. Contracts are made that are conditional in nature. A covenant is unconditional in nature. Contract focuses on growth of self. A covenant is predicated on relationships. Contracts ask, what am I getting from this marriage? Contracts, covenants say, I, am I giving all to this marriage? A contract is bound by legalism and leverage. A covenant is bound by love and loyalty. A contract is convenience-based. A covenant is commitment-based. A contract is specified period of time, a covenant is forever. In covenant, two are connected until the agreement is broken. In covenant, two are committed until death do us part. Those are examples of understanding the difference between a covenant and a contract. Now, there uh, there was a contest that was done in Alabama several years ago, and uh, they uh, kind of threw this out and they said, you know, we want to know... what you've done to have a happy marriage. So if you feel like you really have a happy marriage, if you would, kind of send us what you've done or your thoughts or your recipe for a happy marriage. And the couple that won sent this in. They said this, and I think this is great. It says, We determined that we would give when we wanted to receive. That we would serve when we wanted to feast. That we shared when we wanted to keep. That we listened when we wanted to talk. That we submitted when we wanted to reign. We forgave when we wanted to retaliate. We stayed when we wanted to leave. Hey, that's great stuff. I remember when my wife and I were preparing to be married, our marriage counselor told us, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to buy two jerseys. I don't care what kind they are, but I want you to buy two jerseys. And I want you to buy one for her and one for you. And... Uh, this is what I want you to do. Anytime that you get in a, a pretty significant fight or a, a serious argument, I want one of you to go put this on. If one of you goes and puts the jersey on, the other has to put the jersey on. And then you have to finish your argument or your fight 
wearing the same jersey. And the reason for this is, is you need to be reminded that you're on the same team. Okay? That the goal is not to destroy your teammate and to try to beat them, but to recognize you're on the same team and that you want to come up with a resolution that will benefit the team. And we call it Team Holton. Now, I've outgrown mine. I need an extra large now. But nevertheless, uh, these don't make these things as big as they used to. You realize? You ever notice that? But that is a great symbol that we've used in our marriage. And uh, it's not new to me. Many have used that. But there are also symbols that are given to us from our wedding that help us understand the nature of our commitment, the nature of our covenant. Let's look at those for just a moment uh, as we look uh, from that aspect. When we come into our, when we were getting married, and if, you, if you've ever been married, if you've ever been to a wedding, you'll notice several things. And I just want to share some of those with you here. First of all, when you come to a wedding or when you participate in a wedding, you will see the, the seating of the guests. There's a picture of a covenant, of a covenant agreement. Just like the two sides were split apart and they walked down the center, that's exactly what the bride and the groom do. They walk down the center and they'll have friends and family on one side of the groom, friends and family uh, of the bride. And there's a picture of the, the witness that's required for a covenant. Also, uh, we see the um, seating of the parents or the recognitions of the parents at the blessing of the parents upon the marriage. Uh, the, when it, the bride is presented, so it's a transference uh, from the man's responsibility, the father's responsibility, to now to uh, the husband or the groom. The lifting of the veil. Uh, and the lifting of the veil, if you remember, there was a veil between us and God Almighty. But at Jesus' death upon the cross, what happened to the veil? It was ripped in two. And now because the veil has been removed... We have full access to God Almighty through Jesus Christ. So in a wedding, the veil is lifted, and now the couples have full access to one another. You see the symbolism, the picture, the saying of vows, the covenant promises that are made to God and each other. So it's not just a piece of paper. It's not just a contract. It's a promise being made to God Almighty as well as to one another. It's a covenant. The unity candle that shows the picture of the two becoming one in spirit. The exchange of rings uh, as we see the symbolism of an outward expression of an inward commitment. It's also very much like baptism. Matter of fact, we had baptism here last week. And anytime I do baptism, I'll say, um, you know, baptism is just like the wedding ring of our salvation. Baptism is an outward picture of an inward commitment that I've made. And it's a sign that when people see that, that they know I belong to Christ, that I've committed to Him. It's my outward expression. So is the wedding ring, a sign of our outward expression uh, to our wives and our husbands. It's a physical uh, symbol, so to speak. Also, we see the drinking of the cup. Uh, sometimes they'll do this in weddings. Sometimes you'll see people do the Lord's Supper. But in the first century Semitic wedding, this is what would occur. In the wedding itself, there would be a time where the uh, husband would offer, or the groom would offer the bride the cup. And if she received of that cup of wine, if she drank from that cup, that was the sign that I fully accept you and I fully accept this covenant before God and man. Then uh, sometimes we may see, or usually we will see the public proclamation of the couple as their names are given together. This is the beginning of the covenant. From that point on, uh, it is recognized legally and uh, certainly by God Almighty. 
And then the celebration of the reception, a picture of the celebration of the covenant. We talked about that earlier, uh, how after a covenant they would have a time of celebration and they would receive the bread and the wine and they have a, a feast. We also see that happening, by the way, in Revelation chapter 19. And then even the cutting of the cake. And again, the picture, what does the word brief mean? Covenant means the cutting, the cutting of the cake and the commitment to care for one another. Uh, and then we could go on, the throwing of rice and yada, yada, yada. There, there, very many, there are a lot of them, uh, but we're going to stop. I said throwing of rice because yeah, I, I, I just totally broke the spirit by saying yada, yada, yada. So I apologize for that right now. I want to just ask your forgiveness. Uh, it, it means that you'll be fruitful in your marriage. You'll have lots of children. That's what it means, okay? Uh, and sometimes they use bird seed, which might be more appropriate. But nevertheless, what does it mean? Let me come on back with me here for a moment, all right? Come on back and be with. What does it mean for you today, though, when you think about your marriage? Am I in covenant or am I in contract? It's a question we need to ask. Here, here's what we know about a covenant marriage. Here are a couple of things that a covenant marriage requires. First of all, that we share faith. That we share faith with one another. Number two, that we look at the institution of marriage as a sacred ceremony, as a covenant. Number three, that we agree that marriage is the confines for which sexuality must happen. In other words, all sex will occur within inside the bond boundaries of marriage and that we commit to not only death to us part, but grace to us part. The importance of grace and forgiveness. When I come to a relationship with God Almighty, it requires two things. A covenant and a sacrifice. For me to experience salvation... There had to be a covenant offered to me by God Almighty. And there was a covenant given to us through the blood of Christ that if I accept His grace and forgiveness, what He's done upon the cross, and ask Him to save me and to come in my life and be my Savior, that He would forgive me. And, but there had to be a sacrifice offered for my sin because God Almighty is perfect when without sin. And so there had to be a sacrifice. So the blood of Christ has been applied. So is true for our marriage covenant today. We must recognize that there's a covenant, but there's also a sacrifice that we're willing to engage in as we come into what God calls holy matrimony, the covenant of marriage. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this time together, and thank You that You have covenant with us for eternity, for all who will trust You and believe in You and accept Your grace and forgiveness. You have provided a sacrifice for us. Lord, it is a beautiful picture, and You have given us the institution of marriage, which is to be a picture of our relationship with You, the covenant that we've made with You. And Lord, we know that it requires sacrifice on our part. And it's not about getting what we want, but it's about becoming who You have asked us to be. It's about living in covenant. Lord, thank You for this time, and thank You for the blessing that You've given us. If there's one here that doesn't know You today, I pray that You would draw them by the power of Your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.